we, we are just really grateful to be here and um, so thank you for having us and um, I'm, I'm going to be um, a little bit kinder than Simon in what I share but not much to be honest so uh, apologies ahead of time um, but I think one of the things we're learning um, at King's Arms, and certainly I'm learning, is that seeing God's kingdom come through us is easier than we thought. And uh, really that's because God is much more passionate than we are about extending his kingdom. It's an ever-increasing kingdom. It is going to extend. And the amazing thing is he he wants to use you and me to do that. But what we're finding as we go out on the streets and as we're doing our everyday life is that the the main thing you need to be good at is loving people. Just to lift off any pressure of any, any other expectation, what we are learning more than anything is if you can love the person in front of you, God, God will open stuff up that is really surprising. Or you will have an encounter where you don't talk about Jesus, but they have met him through you in the way you've loved them. And uh, we, we were out on the streets just this Saturday as a, as a training school. We had 80 students hit 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 the town centre in Bedford and um, we had such an array of stories um, from uh, one student who felt God speak to her about bringing an extra pair of gloves with her and her meeting a homeless guy who happened to comment on the fact that his hands were cold and her being able to give him the gloves to just tell him how amazing he was and that Jesus loved him which then led on to a conversation about pain he was having in his legs and they got to pray for him and then later on saw him again and he said all the pain had gone out of his legs which is amazing it started from giving him a pair of gloves that's just that's what we're finding it's just as you meet a practical need often God just opens up the supernatural and another story which I love is one of our students went into a shop he was standing in a particular area in town thought he'd pop into the shop and just meet the guy there and bless him found out he was a Muslim and I thought this was a genius question he just felt prompted to ask him have you ever had any dreams about Jesus? which I thought that's a great question Um, he hadn't as it happens but it opened up a great conversation and so we are um, yeah, learning that it's that's easier than we can often make it, make it out to be. But I think the other thing we're learning is that often we can be focused on the tools to do the stuff and, and God very regularly brings it back to getting us free on the inside. And when we're free on the inside, what's inside of us flows out of us. And we're seeing that time and time again. And so I want to just talk... Um, in this session about an encounter I had with God many years ago now which has really changed um, the changed the way I approach life really in, in a, a really significant way and it, it really has opened my eyes I guess to some keys of living out of everything God's called me to and um, I just want to share with you I guess the revelation, just take on a bit of my journey um, and share some stories as we go and so really what happened was it came out of a time on my own with Jesus in my bedroom and I was just hanging out reading, um, reading the Bible and reading a particular passage. And the passage I was reading was in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 18, which, which was pretty familiar to me. But I, I read the passage and then just began to ask God some questions about it. And uh, if you want to read it, I'll, I'll read, it out, read it out to us. And it's Matthew 16, verse 13 to 18. And um, this is what happens. 
And now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I was reading this piece of scripture, I just began to ask some, God some questions about what was going on. And I was asking him, well, help me to understand, Father, what is the rock that the church will be built on? And I, I realised that when we talk about the church, we're talking about people, we're not talking about a physical building. We are the church, That we are the people, we are the church. So what is the rock that you want to build my and every other believer's life on? And I didn't know at this point, and there's lots of commentary discussion about this very question. So I was just asking God very blindly, and what I saw happening is that Simon, Jesus comes and says, who do people say that I am? And he says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter piped up with the right answer, you're, you're, the, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he, Jesus says to him, blessed are you, because flesh and blood has not told you this, but my father has revealed this to you. In, in other words, he's received revelation direct from the father about who Jesus is. And I felt God highlight that the importance of that revelation. And he said, one of the things that the church, one of the rocks the church is built on is our revelation, first of all, of who Jesus is, who he is, what he's like, what his nature is like. And because of that, revelation of the Father. Because scripture tells us when you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of his Father. And that made sense to me. It makes sense to me that a, a solid rock for me as a believer, for us as the church to build our life on, is going to be revelation of the true nature of who our Father is. Understanding his nature, his goodness, his kindness. And not just by information. We could all quote information about truth, about who God is. The thing about revelation is it it kind of goes it goes deeper revelation kind of hits you in here and sometimes you don't even understand the fullness of it because it's too big to understand but it gets you in here and it changes your behavior and so there's revelation of Jesus and therefore revelation of the father but then I also began to ask him about the situation after Jesus had said that to Simon Peter why did Jesus then tell Simon Peter who he was why, why, why did Jesus then say, and I tell you, you are, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church? And I felt the Holy Spirit tell me in that moment, he said, the reason that's happened is that the revelation that the church, that you and I are going to be built on, is not just revelation of who Jesus is, and therefore revelation of the Father, but it's also about revelation of who Jesus says we are. About our identity as sons and daughters of God. And I, and I began to mull this over a bit and I realised that actually the enemy who is the liar, the accuser of the brethren, if he is going to lie to you, very typically he will go after those two revelations. Very typically he will either try to lie to you about the nature of God, who he is, what he's like, or he will try to lie to you about who you are, what you carry, what you're able to do. And I suddenly realised, gosh, I'm onto something here. This is quite significant. The very things, the very revelation that God said, or is saying in this passage, the church will be built on, are the very areas that the enemy is trying to 
cut us off from. The enemy is trying to come and attack the very revelation, very revelation that's going to give us a firm foundation. And the battle for this revelation is primarily fought in our minds. And, and there is a battle on for this. Um, I'm going to tell you some stories in my own life where I've had to fight some of these battles. But the enemy is going after this revelation. And you can even see it in scripture. So even um, at the beginning of creation, uh, the, the Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. And, and God says to them, you can eat from anything in this garden apart from apart from this one this one place don't eat the fruit from there don't don't eat from that tree and then what happens is the enemy comes to adam and eve and says did did god really say that and then i'm i'm paraphrasing but he says something along the lines of you know the only the, the only reason he doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because it will make you like him in other words the enemy is trying to get adam and eve to think that god is withholding something good from them and they listen to the enemy, and the rest is history. And you see it also with Jesus, in terms of this revelation of our identity, at his baptism, he comes out of the water, the heaven is, the heaven is torn open, the Spirit descends on him as, like a dove, and the Father says from heaven, uh, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And then immediately he's led into the wilderness, and what's the first thing the enemy tries to challenge? The first thing the enemy says to Jesus what does he say? If, if, you, if you really are what you've just heard you are, do X, Y, Z. And so immediately the enemy comes in to try and rob Jesus of this revelation. And what, I, what, I've, what I'm learning, and I'm still very much on the journey, is that in order to pursue a lifestyle of seeing God's kingdom come wherever we go and realising that we are called to live like that, we need to understand God's nature in a deeper way. We, it is very difficult to expect God to break in with healing with the person you've just met in your workplace if you've got some niggling doubts that God might not actually want to heal. It's very difficult to expect the goodness of God to break into the person's life that you're about to pray for if you've got some niggling doubts about, well, is he really good? And the enemy comes in to bring those doubts and to bring confusion about that um, so we've got to learn to battle those lies of the enemy and in this session I want to focus on knowing who God is and then I think tomorrow morning I'm going to focus in on our identity because there's a very real battle on for us understanding who we are in Christ and our brand new identity often we know it in our heads but it's revelation that puts it inside of us that then changes our behaviour so you guys ready? Okay. So, the thing about knowing the nature of God and the truth about who God is and how passionate he is about bringing his kingdom is we, we know the stuff in our heads. The key, the key thing about revelation is it puts it in our hearts. The truth is God is good. He is full of love. He's perfect in his love. He's passionate about his bringing his kingdom. He's full of compassion and mercy and grace. He's all-powerful. He's all-loving. We know all these things in our head, but the enemy comes to try and undermine this truth by speaking lies to us and causing us to question the truth. And he does that typically by making us focus on our circumstances. So I don't know if you can recognize any of these thoughts, but he does things like, he says into your mind or you begin to think well if God was healer 
why, why is it that I'm still suffering with this sickness? Or God, God can't be very loving because I prayed for a long time for my, my friend's marriage to be restored and it, and it broke up. Or, well, God, maybe he's not really a provider because I've just lost my job and now I'm in a real mess in terms of finances. Can anyone relate to these kind of thoughts that pop into your mind, that you begin to think through? The enemy wants us to focus on our circumstances and wants to get us to call into question the nature of God that, by the way, never changes and get us to doubt who God is and the kind of things he, he, he loves to do. And actually, one of the key ways that I have learned and we are learning as a church community, one of the things we're, key things we're learning about how to get free of this and how to really listen into the truth about who God is and to stand firm on the revelation of God's nature, the truth about his nature, is this. It's about getting excellent at being real with God about how you're feeling about the circumstances you're in or other people around you are in. What we often do is that we go through a circumstance or we watch other people go through a circumstance and we feel pain or emotion about that thing we're going through or the thing we're observing. What we tend to do is we, rather than processing that pain and being honest with God or honest with others about how we're feeling, is it kind of just gets stuck inside of us. And disappointment and pain of the circumstances we've gone through or seen others go through gets trapped inside of us. And what happens is when we try to then get revelation of the truth about God's nature, it kind of gets stuck up here because we are filled up with pain and disappointment that we've never processed, we've never got out of ourselves. And so the revelation that God wants to speak to us about his nature gets stuck here and can't go to a very deep place. And I've, I've learned this firsthand in my life. I remember going to a, on a trip to Bethel in the States. And I remember being there and being amazed at how much an entire church, it seemed, was expecting the goodness of God. Not just expecting God's goodness for other people around them, but it was like there was this corporate expectation that God is not only good, but he wants to be good to me. And I'd never experienced anything like it. And I was pretty blown away by the whole thing. I remember coming back um, from that trip and still kind of reeling from what I'd experienced there because I realised that wasn't my expectation. I, I, I knew God was good, but there was something not clicking inside of me. And I went to a church prayer meeting at the King's Arms and, and God very clearly spoke to me. And uh, it's never great if he starts a sentence with you like this because he said, Wendy, the, the trouble with you is um, that, that rather than expecting to, be, uh, to, to encounter my goodness, you are much more often expecting to be disappointed. That's what he said to me. You are much more often expecting to be disappointed by me rather than to be receiving my goodness. And, and he was obviously right because he's God. And um, the reason for that is that I had been through various different situations in my life which had caused a lot of disappointment in my heart. And I, as I said before, I'd never processed that pain. I'd never out loud talked through the pain and the disappointment that I had felt through those circumstances. And so it was just stuck in me. And although I knew in my head that God was good, the pain in my heart told me otherwise. 
Does that make sense? There was a disconnect. My head was like, well, God is good, he's going to do this. But inside of me, I was riddled with disappointment and pain that was just stuck. And that, that told me otherwise. And I remember hearing Bill Johnson, who leads the church in Bethel, saying that he, he thought that the biggest barrier to breakthrough in the, in the UK, in, the, in believers, in the church, he, he felt that the biggest barrier to breakthrough was disapp- disappointment in the heart of believers that has never been processed. And I would argue that it's not, not just the UK. As I, as I travel around, as we travel around and speak about this stuff... It seems to be that there is just stacks of disappointment in the heart of believers that has never been processed. And the reason disappointment is such a problem is that it directly attacks your faith. So if you, if you think about faith being belief plus expectation, in other words, you can believe that God loves the heal, but there's a difference between believing God loves the heal and expecting him to heal. That you can believe that God is going to be good, but there's a difference between believing he, he, he's good and expecting him to be good when you pray right now. The, the, the expectation bit, the difference is the expectation of God doing it now, and that's where the faith kicks in. So you can believe something by mental assent in your head, but faith means that you're expecting something to happen when you pray in this particular instance. And what disappointment does is it attacks our faith and expectation. So if you have disappointment in your heart that you've never processed, you've got pain in your heart that you've not ever got out of your system, what happens is you stop expecting too much just in case you're disappointed again. (coughs) So you know what it feels like to be disappointed because you're still living in it and you're just like, oh, I don't expect too much because if I feel disappointed again, I'm not sure I could handle this. And so you just lower your expectation levels to minimise disappointment potential. That's one thing that happens. The other thing that happens is you, you don't want to promise anyone else too much either, just in case they get disappointed. Because you know what it feels like. Because <coughs> it's all still in you. And so because you're still living in this place of disappointment, you don't want to promise other people too much, just in case they then experience all the pain that you're still living with. And so you lower their levels of expectation too. The problem with lowering our expectation is that we don't tend to tap into or see the stuff that God is longing to do. And the reality is that God's nature never changes. He is better than we think. He is more powerful than we realise. He is more passionate about people than we understand. And disappointment cuts this truth off and stops us being able to tap into all that God wants to do in us and through us. And so we've been learning as a church family um, how to process pain and disappointment really well. Because it is possible to live in a place of faith and expectation in the goodness of God all the time. Because the truth is, he never changes. He's always perfectly good in every way. It's possible for us to get our hearts to a place of expecting his goodness and his kindness, even in the midst of the most mysterious circumstances, if we can learn to process our pain and disappointment really well. And so I just want to share some of the stuff we've learned. Much of this we've learned from Bill Johnson and some talks that we've heard him do. And I want to share it through a personal example of my life. I could have picked many examples. Um, Disappointment, when it comes, can come in um, because of a whole host of reasons. Uh, Job situation, family situation. You're single and you want to be married. 
you're married and you want to have children. Um, your husband, you're how you're relating together as husband and wife, and you're long-term sick, you haven't got money. I mean, disappointment could come in a whole host of different ways. And sadly, guys, just to say right at the front, when you process disappointment in a minute, you won't be done. It's not like a one-hit wonder where you process your disappointment and, whoa, you'll never have to process disappointment ever again in your life. What happens, though, is that you suddenly will be given tools to be able to do this effectively whenever you need to and also to help other people go on the journey. And if you are able to do this really well, you will be able to stay free on the inside to keep believing God for miracles, for breakthrough, for transformed lives and for his goodness to be breaking out all around you and in you. So I've just put, I'm, I'm choosing a, a personal story about this in terms of my own journey with sickness. Um, but as I said, I, ha, I have done this process through many other examples and situations I've experienced. Um, so just to, to fill you in on um, my, my journey, uh, I think it was maybe eight, eight or so years ago I... Um, very suddenly had um, a swelling in my abdomen um, just kind of came out of nowhere and I went to the doctor I think it was a sat actually, I went to the walk-in doctor he just said he thought it was some kind of infection, gave me some pills and I thought I don't think this is an infection, my, my abdomen literally sw- swelled out, I was like this is odd so I went to the doctor on the Monday and he did a quick test thing and he immediately sent me to the hospital and they did, a, they did an ultrasound and they found that I had um, a very large cyst about the size of a melon on my right ovary. And uh, so immediately I knew that I was going to need to have surgery and um, it was going to need to be... It couldn't have been keyhole because they wouldn't have got the thing out. So it was going to be a big big incision. And I had to have a blood test that, that day to find out if it was going to be at risk of being cancer or not. So I had the blood test... Um, and waited, waited a little while for the results, and the results came through that uh, the levels that they were testing for were very high, and so I needed to go to Addenbrooke's, which is a hospital in Cambridge, to go to, for specialist treatment, because there was a risk of it being cancer. So, it, it, was, a, it was just a massive shock. Um, totally out of the blue and we'd been praying for the sick at King's Arms for quite a a while up to this point so I was shocked and had to work through fear I remember Caroline bringing some cards around really quickly about truths about fighting fear if you remember that Um, and so began to read through those things but also thought "This, this could be my opportunity for a miracle and I went through this journey of what if I got miraculously healed my parents um, would encounter God, my brother would encounter God, um, I would suddenly grow in faith for healing because I've experienced a miracle in my body and so we just started to pray and, and we had people arrange prayer nights and got prayer at church and just prayed and every night I went to bed I would see this swelling, put my hand on, pray and wake up in the morning, oh, it's still there and just keep praying, asking Jesus to break in and um, uh, all the way up to the morning of going into the hospital and went into the hospital and um, ultimately had to go through having the, having the surgery, had to uh, sign a consent form to say that if when they opened me up, 
it was a mess because I guess there's only so much they can tell through scans um, that I would give them permission to give me a hysterectomy if, if they needed to. So I, I went into surgery not knowing if I'd come out being able to have children and also having the risk of it. this might be cancer and I might need further treatment for this. And um, to say it was a challenging, a challenging time is a bit of an understatement. It was really, really hard. I had a challenging time in the hospital. I was in there for about a week and felt really rough. And three months recovery. What's amazing is that they were able to remove the cyst. Actually, there was one on both ovaries without removing the ovaries. And when I had got the results back after two weeks, I got a phone call. Remember the, the, the morning when my mum was sitting on the couch and the phone call came and my mum was trying to interpret what was going on and, and the, the lady was... We had had a celebration in our team meeting this morning. It's not cancer. And uh, I was like, ah, oh, amazing. Just so grateful to God for his grace. And I am still... I mean, I'm just... I just never know what those prayers did, is, is what I'm thinking. What, what we can often do as believers, though, is we get the outcome, which was, which was amazing news, actually, um, and think, well, I've just got to be grateful that this is the outcome, whereas the truth is I had a lot of disappointment leading up to that good outcome because it didn't happen the way I was hoping or expecting. What I wanted, what I was hoping for, what I was praying for was a miraculous intervention from God and I was believing him for it and because that didn't happen there was still pain and disappointment to process and work through. And so I had to go on a journey and I knew there was disappointment in my heart because I struggled to pray for the sick. I remember when I, when I had opportunities, when I came back to church after recovering, I was like, I, I will pray for you, but in my heart I was like, I'm, I'm really not expecting anything to happen at this moment. I'm kind of doing it through sheer obedience. And I remember just feeling a bit flat. I remember remembering the time in the hospital and just replaying it. And it was just, it was just, it was very clear that there was pain and disappointment in my heart. And so what I did was I went through this process. And it's much like writing a psalm. So if you've you've ever spent any any attention looking at the psalms, I mean, David really did not hold back, did he? he? He really got out of his system what he was feeling. If you look at Psalm 13... The way David starts Psalm 13, he says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I mean, he didn't hold back, did he? And the first part of the journey of processing pain and disappointment is getting out of your system what you feel without filtering it. I, I took myself off into my bedroom and for probably about an hour I just cried about how I was feeling and spoke out to God how I felt about the whole process. And the key thing in this is not filtering. What I've found is that often as believers what we do is we try to tell God the answer he want, we think he wants us to hear or we try to package our processing of pain in the way that we think he wants us to do it rather than coming as children and just getting it all out there. The funny thing is, he already knows what's in our hearts. It's a funny thing we do, that we try to do the right thing, even in our raw processing. And so I just spent time in my bedroom telling God how it all felt. 
telling God exactly how I felt in the hospital, telling God how lonely I felt, particularly one night I felt incredibly sick. And just, God, I didn't know where you were. I, didn't, I couldn't feel you. I don't understand why this has happened. Uh, if my earthly dad could have healed me, I know he would have done. You're my heavenly father. You could do it. I don't understand what's happened. Um, I didn't accuse him. You, you left me because he hadn't left me. But I told him how I felt. It felt like you'd left me. I didn't understand what was going on. It's, I felt so sad that this, is, has to, this has had to happen. I really wanted a miracle. I really wanted to see my family encounter you. And I just kind of let it all out. And this is such an important part of the getting free from disappointment. And what often happens as believers is we shortcut this process and we stop too early. We kind of rant a bit and then we think, oh gosh, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be grateful to God. And we kind of move on quickly. And, we sh- and by doing that, you short circuit the processing time. And so it's really important that you take time to really express. And the reason we get people to do it out loud is because it brings incredible freedom. It's, it's, it, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And there's something about using your words, using your voice to express that if you just think it in your head, it just doesn't carry the same weight. And so I spent a a big chunk of time in my room processing and trying not to filter and telling God exactly how I felt about the whole situation. A bit like David did in the Psalms. And then what, what is helpful sometimes with people who don't really know what to say or how they're feeling you can flick through the Psalms and find one that is kind of expressing what you're feeling. There's so much rich stuff in the Psalms. and So I flicked through a little bit and just kind of found some bits that put into words what I was feeling in my heart and I just kind of read them out loud and, and just used that to help to prompt what I was feeling and to express it a little bit more. And then the third thing then is once you have processed all of what you need to say and you feel like you've said everything you need to say. And when I'm praying people through this stuff, I often say to them, have you said everything you need to say? And every so often there's a little bit more they need to say or no, I think I'm done. Then, after you've got all the stuff out and you're feeling vulnerable and raw and spent, it's at that point then that you speak out loud the truth about God's nature and the truth about who he is. Thank you, God, that you are good. Thank you, God, that you're passionate about healing. Thank you, God, that you've never left me. Thank you, God, that you're full of compassion for me. Thank you, Father, that you've got my family, that you love them more than I love them. And again, the key is speaking out the truth out loud because death and life is in the power of the tongue. As you speak it out loud, it does something on the inside. And when you speak stuff out loud after removing all of the junk... The truth about God's nature and who he is can go deeper. It doesn't get stuck just up here, but it can go to a deeper place in our hearts and impact us in a deeper way. As I've already said, processing disappointment and expressing pain isn't a one-off thing. The interesting thing about this process, I find, is that there's always better things to do. I can always find something else much more lovely to do. Whereas actually often what I need to do is just carve out an hour, take myself away with Jesus and get real with him about the stuff that's going on um, and express what's in my heart so that 
my, the revelation I have of God's nature and, and the level of faith and expectation I live with can remain in a good and healthy place. It doesn't take much to come and try and swipe your faith away. I mean, the current situation at the moment, my mum is going through cancer treatment and I've had to take myself off again to go to a deeper level of, this is hard. It wasn't actually the word I used. I won't repeat it. Um, God knew it was in my heart anyway. Um, but, but going to a deeper place of actually still being able to be in expectation for, for breakthrough and miracles. And... The, the, important, why, the reason this is so important is also so that you don't come to a place of offence at God. What can, what can happen is if you don't process your pain and your disappointment in a healthy way, your heart can become, uh, I think, shriveled up a little bit by the pain and it, you can fall into offence at God because of the circumstance you're in or your friend's in or your family's in rather than softness of knowing that he is God. He knows everything. He's got it all under control. He loves you. And, he, and he's for you and he's with you, even in the mystery. And uh, processing pain and disappointment well will deal with potential offence in your heart where you shake your foot. Why, why me? Why are you doing this? And offence just causes us to take a step back from the Father and step, step back from his goodness and his love. I think a helpful illustration from scripture is John the Baptist. Um, he, we know that John the Baptist, at the beginning of his ministry, he received revelation that Jesus was the one they'd been waiting for. You know, you hear John saying, this is, here he is, guys, this is the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. He received this revelation. He's the one we've been waiting for. And then a little while later, you find John sending his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you really the one or should we actually wait for someone else? So he's beginning to wonder, did I get this wrong? Are you really the one? And, and the reason would be this, that one of the first things um, Jesus would have said or John would have heard Jesus say when he first came on the scene was, I have come to set the captives free. And at the point that John sends his disciples to ask the question, are you really the one? John's in prison. So what you've got here is John's situation and circumstance doesn't seem to match up with the truth about who Jesus is meant to be. And he's looking at his circumstance and he's remembering, well, you said you've come to set the captives free. I'm in prison. Could do with being freed. Are you really the one, or should we be expecting somebody else? Because you're not doing, in my circumstance here, what you've said you're going to do. And Jesus actually sends John's disciples back. And he says, he says to his disciples, tell John what you're seeing I'm doing. Tell John what you're seeing. In other words, first thing is he encourages John to look at what is happening, not focus on what isn't yet happening. What is happening is that people are getting healed. What isn't yet happening is that John's been released from prison. But Jesus encourages John, look at what is happening. And then he says a sentence at the end. Jesus says, blessed is he who is not offended in me. In other words, he's saying to John, John, don't fall at this hurdle. Don't get offended because your circumstance doesn't match up with what you've heard about me. I'm st- it's still true. 
don't come up with a different alternative because your circumstance doesn't look like it. And often we believe this lie that if, if I could just understand what you're doing, God, then I could know peace. If you could just explain to me why, why is this the situation I'm in? Why, is, why, why am I 38 and haven't yet met, met, met my husband? Or why, am I, why have we been married for 12 years and we haven't been able to conceive? Or why, why is it that this person we prayed for for such a long time ended up dying? If, if we could just understand what you're doing, God, we would just know peace. Tell us, explain to us. Whereas actually, the Bible promises a different kind of peace in Philippians and the peace that the Bible promises is a peace that goes beyond our understanding it's actually when you lay down your right to understand and say God I don't get this and it's hard but I lay down my right to understand why this is happening because you are God and I am not peace rushes in peace rushes in I remember praying for a friend who had she was pregnant with her second child and in her first um, delivery of her first son she'd had to have an emergency cesarean and she was absolutely gutted. It's not what she wanted. She was absolutely gutted and full of fear that it would be the same with this second baby. And, we, and a friend of mine and I went and prayed with her. We took her through this process. She was really honest. She did such a good job at processing all the pain and got it all out of her system and uh, spoke out truth about who God is and, and the rubber really hit the road at the point at which we said to her can you lay down your right to understand why this happened and uh, she thought for a minute and she eventually said yeah I think I can and so she just said Father I just lay down my right to understand why this has happened I don't want to hold this against you I trust you I know that you are God and you are good and you understand stuff that I don't understand and then we prayed for God's peace to come in and it was incredible, incredible. God's peace just rushed in on her. And uh, as it turns out, the delivery of her second baby was natural, but her third baby was another caesarean. And but because she'd processed this situation, she had a very different response to what happened. Um... It is a mystery. There is so much mystery. When you want to pursue a supernatural lifestyle, there is plenty of opportunity for mystery. The key thing is that we don't change our opinion about the nature of God. And one of the main ways we do that is by processing our pain and disappointment really well so that we can keep holding on to the truth about his goodness and his kindness and his bigness and the fact that he's passionate about breaking in and transforming situations and that when there's mystery and when that doesn't happen as we want we process the pain and we lay down our right to understand we say God we trust you because you are God I mean one of the first miracles I saw after a second operation I had um, which was similarly linked into the ovaries I actually ended up losing an ovary was someone who had um, a lump in their breast and the breast lump disappeared it's just a mystery um, I've also prayed for a lady who had 13 cysts on her ovaries and they, they disappeared. 
it's, a, it's just a mystery and I had to process some more stuff after that one but it's a mystery but God is, God is God and God is good and he is working everything together for good and I am not going to get to heaven and, and him have to apologise to me because he messed up with my life that's not going to happen there's massive amounts of mystery but he never changes he never ever changes and I want to encourage us to be be those who refuse to listen to the lies of the enemy about God who don't don't even go there don't entertain any doubts about whether he really is good or he really wants to break in but that we learn to process our pain really well lay down our right to understand so we can keep believing in the goodness of God and we can help other people do the same and then have a church community who are full of faith and expectation that God wants to come and do amazing things among us.